Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. It doesn't matter what you think, how prominent you are. If you do wrong, if you break the law, if you murder, then justice will be done in South Carolina. Oh, there's so much to catch up on when it comes to news from the United States today. And that right there is the case, I think, that everybody has been watching. And it took fewer than three hours of deliberation yesterday before a jury found Alex Murdoch to be guilty in the murders of his wife and son. And that's just one of the items on the list that we are going to be talking with Reggie Cicchini about today, our Washington correspondent, stopping by on a Friday so we can catch up on the news of the week. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. Okay, this case was really something. Like, I was also following along on this. and Boy, oh boy, what a case. Yeah, you and tens and tens and tens and tens yeah. of millions uh, of others. Uh, and what's remarkable about this is that the jury went into deliberations on Thursday afternoon. And by late Thursday afternoon, just into Thursday evening, local time on the East Coast, they had already come back with a verdict. This was less than three hours of deliberation. And from the experts, from the lawyers who have been talking, uh, it really was murder himself going on the stand testifying that may have driven this home for the jury. Oh, boy. And there was a juror that was dismissed yesterday or the other day, too, wasn't there? Well, this happens often. Uh, I, I, I won't lie. I don't have the details um, on the juror that was dismissed. But this does happen uh, oftentimes uh, in these kinds of cases. I think the bigger thing to look at now when it comes to this case is what happens today. Sentencing uh, is set to get underway in, ooh, I think, about 22 minutes time. We may hear additional testimony from some uh, uh, people who were linked to the financial crimes that he is facing charges on. But the sentencing today, somewhere between 30 years and life, the state opting to not go with the death penalty. Reggie, have you, like millions of others, watched the Netflix documentary? I have not watched oh, the Netflix documentary. Reggie. To be honest, I, I took Netflix off my TV a couple oh, of months look ago. You. When the new crown comes back, I'll put it back. <laughs> you and everybody else, right? That's, that's So many people are doing that too. Oh, okay, so that's a fascinating case for sure, but there's other stories for us to talk about from the U.S. too. So what is going on with this Department of Justice issue and former President Donald Trump? This is a big deal. Uh, typically, we see the Department of Justice say that sitting presidents are covered by protections, that they can't be charged or indicted on any crimes. But Donald Trump is now out of office. But at the same time, the DOJ is saying, look, Donald Trump, when he was speaking to the crowd at the Ellipse, the hours before the riots took place at January 6th, those words uh, likely resulted in violence towards uh, uh, House members, towards lawmakers and towards police and the public. And they ultimately decided that those words 
words were not covered by the First Amendment and that a court could go ahead and open up and potentially carry out a lawsuit against Donald Trump. This is a win for some police officers. It is a win for Democratic lawmakers who have been doing this. It is still at its very early stages. We don't know where this is going to go, but this is a big deal and could potentially open up more legal trouble for Donald Trump as he creeps towards 2024. Right, because he is obviously running for the presidency again. And on that note, on the campaign trail, there's some events that I know that usually you get, you see a lot of kind of Republican faces at. And so there's this big one that's happening that why aren't people going to it this time around? Because this used to be a big one back in the day. It, it was a big one up until last year. This is the CPAC event that happens just south of D.C. in uh, in Maryland. Uh, and this is kind of the, the stage for big name Republicans to come have conversations with a big Republican base about issues that they want to see carried forward. The issue is the founder of CPAC, Matt Schlapp, has been charged with sexual assault uh, of a former Republican staffer. And that is keeping some big names out of here, like Ron DeSantis, uh, like Mike Pompeo, who is speaking, though, Nikki Haley, who is a person in this race, and their keynote speaker is still Donald Trump, who is going to address the crowd on Saturday. So some Republicans are staying away. Others are still full throttle, especially those are the ones rather that are really kind of tied to and still following around the former president. And how is that campaign going? Because I know it seems to be focused right now on what appears to be the two front runners, right? Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. Yeah, and, and Donald Trump has actually put out a plan or is about to put out a five-point plan that he's going to try to chip away at some of this lead that Ron DeSantis has been taking in recent polls here by trying to attack him on his uh, time in the House when he wanted to raise the age uh, and eligibility for uh, Social Security and Medicare programs. He also wants to go after Ron DeSantis for being wishy-washy when it comes to funding for Ukraine, essentially trying to say, look, there's a limited pool of Republican-based members. I need to make sure that I get all of them and take them away from DeSantis, because even right now, while Donald Trump is still the quote-unquote leader of the Republican Party, Ron DeSantis in some polls is starting to move ahead of him, and Donald Trump is not the kind of person who will lose quietly and graciously. True, but he also, I mean, being the underdog has worked for him before. Yes, uh, being the underdog has worked. I mean, look, being the underdog has worked for both of these uh, candidates before. And and really, you know, Ron DeSantis is going to say, look at me, I'm a kind of hot commodity in the party. You can't live without me. Donald Trump is going to say this party was nothing until I came in and now can't go forward without me. This is going to be a no knives knife fight, a knife fight for the next year and a half. Hmm, Okay. And on that other side, too, uh, everyone's um, favorite congressperson that they love to talk about, George Santos. What's going up there? He is now formally facing an ethics investigation uh, for issues having to do with campaign finance laws, for issues having to do with the lies that he told repeatedly throughout his campaign. He is facing calls from within his own electorate to resign along with his own party. And now that the ethics uh, committee is formally looking into this, it could give more resolve to Republicans who have been fearful of what they want to do with him, whether or not it ultimately results in him either you know, not being seated elsewhere or being formally removed from his seat. That's something that this committee is going to have to deal with. But again, it shows that there can be a congressperson or at least a lawmaker that is able to bring in independents, Democrats and Republicans to agree on one thing. Well, you know, it's interesting also about his case because of the exaggerations on his resume and things. I have found that I've been reading more stories where they've been digging into the backgrounds of other you know, Congress people or politicians saying, well, people make a lot of claims on their resumes. 
It doesn't mean they shouldn't get checked out, right, if they run for office. Yeah, and, and look, the, the issues, uh, what that comes down to is the issues having to do with George Santos. A lot of this was covered by some of the media, some of the smaller media in New York, but the bigger media wasn't picking it up. And this kind of came back to, well, this is the media's fault for not doing a deep dive in it, which then led to a big fight about, well, the media is starting to make too many cuts. And because of that, they're not able to do as much investigative work as they once used to. But you're right. This does happen in every election. Some will blame it on the media. Others are blaming it on the lawmakers themselves. But at the end of the day, it is the electorate that gets the information that they think they need to put this person in office. An ethics committee investigation and its results could give people more clarity when they're Mm -hmm. actually going into a voting booth. Okay, and what is the deal with Republicans being focused on Canada right now? Uh, So, I mean, Republicans are focused on Canada, number one, uh, because it is a way to kind of go after the Biden administration for what they see are failed border policies. But also it's a way for them to bring focus back to the southern border. Earlier this week, I was at a news conference where a series of kind of fringe right Republicans were saying the Canadian border is this national security issue for the United States because so much of it is just unprotected and unpatrolled. The real problem that they have is northern border patrollers are being taken down to the southern border. trying to use that as an excuse to say the administration is failing on immigration at the same time saying this is a Canadian fault because Ottawa has what they believe to be lax visa policies for certain people trying to enter the U.S. Ultimately, what they want to see is more beefed up patrol, more beefed up security at the border. None of them talked about how this could be accomplished on a bipartisan basis. It was simply the fault of everyone else. Okay, and on a final note, Reggie, I got to ask you about this because I was confused about where this was coming from. But all of this this COVID nineteen stuff and the FBI director saying that okay, now we think it came from the lab. Like, what is going on with this? So, look, there are several. There are more than a dozen U.S. agencies that are looking into the origins of COVID nineteen. The Department of Energy came out in recent days and said that they have low confidence that it came from a Wuhan lab. The FBI came out publicly in an interview with Fox to say that they have moderate. Uh, confidence that it came from a lab, but it's only two of about 17 that are making that conclusion. Ultimately, Republicans are saying, look, we were right from the beginning. Democrats, Dr. Fauci, so-and-so, they were wrong. The problem is, is how this is being viewed. Some Republicans were saying it started in a lab uh, as some kind of bio-warfare program. Others are now saying, look, this may have been an accidental slip from within a lab. There's far more work that needs to be done. China is saying that this is wrong. The U.S. government is continuing its investigation. But what it's doing is creating more and more confusion for the public. The president's actually putting a billion dollars or asking for a billion dollars to cut back on the misinformation that was created during covid and at the same time, try to get some answers. Right. Okay. And on the final note, then, speaking of the president, uh, when is he going to declare for 2024? Because I understand the first lady went to Africa for a trip and all anybody talked about were her comments on, on her husband running again. That that, it, that it, it's going to be his decision. She doesn't see it not happening, that it's going to happen soon. We thought it was going to happen in March. We know that the president is headed to Canada sometime in the next couple of weeks. We're trying to hammer that down. Is it going to happen before that? We don't know. We also heard that it could happen sometime maybe at the end of the month, into April, possibly into May. He hasn't said a full out no yet. The problem is he hasn't said a full out yes yet. And because of that, Democrats are trying to figure out, well, what do we do? We are starting to run out of time. It's the president's cards that he's holding. The ball is in his court. Everybody in the United States, Canada, the world, just sitting and waiting. No kidding. All right, Reggie, thank you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. 
Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is Mornings with Simi. How many drinks do you have in a week? Would you say it's more or less maybe than what you were having a few years ago? During the pandemic, it sure seemed like alcohol consumption went way up. But what about now? According to StatsCan, alcohol sales by volume saw their biggest drop in years last year. People are spending more money on alcohol, but, you know, the theory there is that the alcohol is actually more expensive, but people are actually buying less of it. And there's also a definite shift in what people are drinking too. So let's break down some of our drinking habits and what be, may be leading to this. Well, joining us now is Anne Dowsett-Johnson, who's a psychotherapist and the author of Drink. And thank you very much for being with us. Good morning. Now tell me a bit about Drink. Drink, my book, is um, a best-selling look at my own history with alcohol addiction and the closing gender gap in risky drinking, which I started predicting in 2010 and, in fact, saw myself as the poster girl, highly professional woman who was turning to wine at the end of a long day to unwind and um, what I called it was the modern woman's steroid enabling her to do the heavy lifting in a modern world. And so that's definitely something we are seeing more of, isn't it? So the idea that women and even younger women are drinking more. Yeah, the women, women's drinking has gone through the roof and especially during the pandemic, it was an epidemic. It was extraordinary. It's been on the rise for years, and we saw it just um, really, really explode. And what's disturbing is, I'll give you an example, is that women's presentations at emergency rooms in North America outpaced men, which has never been seen before alcohol-related. So women getting into more trouble, women, um, we saw the targeting of the alcohol industry, what I call the pinking of the industry aimed at women and uh, was an experiment that paid off. Um, things like mummy juice and, you know, those berry flavored right. vodkas that are not manly drinks. Right. Okay. So what do you think happened during the pandemic then, Anne? Do you think people just realized that they were drinking more than they wanted to? Well, I think actually it's more complicated than that. I think that that what we saw was a real shift in behavior. So interestingly, we saw ciders and coolers go up. Those tend to be teen drinks and drinks that um, are entrance level drinks or the lighter drinks. And of course, there's novelty to ciders. Uh, We saw beer sales in an all-time low and wine go down. So I think what happened was there were no weddings. 
more or less more no more no gatherings people weren't going to restaurants um we didn't see the overall sales that we would have seen um and people shifted their behavior and you've got to talk about cannabis cannabis marijuana um in terms of the younger population is a a big deal and a big alternative okay so you're seeing perhaps people are choosing cannabis over alcohol in part, in part, I think I, I've been listening to some experts on this in preparation for this morning, and I think that the other thing is, that is happening is, um, yes, you have people, for instance, dry January became a big thing this year that you hadn't really seen before, dry February included. Um, but I don't think we are sobering up as a nation. Um, 80% of Canadians 15 and over drink, which is a way higher proportion in the United States. Um, we are enthusiastic consumers of alcohol. This is a very interesting um, statistic, but I think it's a shifting in what people are turning to. It's a, it's, uh, I don't think we can take it as seriously as um, some might think. Okay, what about the health concerns here? I think I feel like in the last year or two we've talked more about the health concerns involving alcohol. Yeah, that's a big deal. So the new low risk drinking guidelines came out for the first time since 2011. They came out um in January and they were big news. They came out and really startled um a lot of the Canadian population because the advice is no more than two measured drinks a week. That would be two five ounces uh, glasses of wine, which is very, very little. Had basically the, the overall message of, you know, Canada was going to become the place where fun had gone to die. Um, and the notion is that there's a huge connection with cancer. There's a huge connection with heart disease. There is obviously a connection with violence. There's a connection um, that science has known um, for a long time, and finally the guidelines caught up with it. Most Canadians are not happy with this news, and you can see why. Yeah, because it means that anything that they're drinking essentially at this point is going to be too much. Will it be, I'm thinking though, Anne, it will be like a few years before we see the true impact of that, right? Like people, I feel like they have to think about that for a while before they it impacts their habits. Absolutely. I think that's, that is, um, no, I think I did over 90 interviews on this and said the population isn't going to love this. Um you know, it's interesting. You can't really make a parallel totally with tobacco, but it was 35 years between the science coming out about tobacco and the population changing, as in no more tobacco on airplanes, no more tobacco in offices and restaurants. So we are going to see a gap, I think, between uh, the catch-up. But I think it's fascinating that... Um, we now accept breast cancer, for instance, 15% of cases um, are related to alcohol consumption. Um, more women understand that or appreciate that, that than they did when my book came out, which was only 5% of Canadian women knowing that. So I think that there is a general understanding that this is a behavior that comes with some risk. And we didn't think that before. We thought it was just, you know, it is hands down our favorite drug. In Canada, hands down, the thing that takes 
um, you know, uh, a, a bigger toll than, for instance, illicit drugs in Canada, and most people wouldn't guess that. So there's something worth talking about here. Alcohol does not is not a free ride. All right, Anne, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks a lot. That's Bye-bye. Anne Dowsett-Johnson, who's a psychotherapist and the author of a book called Drink, which takes a look at her sobriety and sort of the, the society and our love affair with alcohol. But taking a look at Canadian statistics, it's so fascinating. So last year, we actually sold more money's worth of alcohol. That went up, but we actually consumed less of it. Stores sold less of it, but they were still making lots of money and they were saying that's probably because of inflation because alcohol prices actually went up. Wine sales fell by volume, 4% actually. It's about two and a half uh, glasses a week. That's the largest drop in the volume of wine since they started tracking alcohol sales back in 1949. Uh, Beer overall went down by 2.8%, but it is still the most popular alcoholic beverage in Canada by market share. So the craft industry, though, is also taking a bigger and bigger chunk out of the mass market beer sales. Craft beer is clearly on the rise. Sales by dollar value doubled in the years leading up to the pandemic there. Also really popular, ciders. Ciders and coolers are making up the market share that beer has kind of lost. Volume on that went up by 11.9% in the last couple of years there. So certain things are still quite popular, but overall alcohol consumption is down. Now, do you think you're drinking less than you were a couple of years ago? And what are the reasons for that? Let me know. Simi at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. They're heartbroken about the accident that happened yesterday near Envermere, B.C. It is impossible to put into words the sorrow that we feel and the sadness that is shared by our guests, their families, and all of our staff. That's Tom Brinkroff, who's the president of RK Heliski, talking about the uh, horrible situation that happened earlier this week. And it has been a deadly avalanche season in our province. Dozen people have been killed. We're at the fourth highest number from the past 20 years. And the latest is that one we were just talking about from Panorama Mountain Resort near Invermere, where three people out of a party of about 10 people have been killed, four others seriously injured, and they were caught in an avalanche while heliskiing with that local company. So we wanted to talk more about the conditions out there. I mean, is this a safety issue, an education issue? Do we need to do something differently to keep people safe? Well, Jimmy Tart is with us now, owner of Mountain West Avalanche Consulting and an avalanche forecaster for Majestic Heliski. Jimmy, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. What kind of conditions are you seeing out there in the backcountry, Jimmy? Well, you know, where I am uh, in Alaska is definitely a long ways away from, uh, you know, British Columbia, um, where these guys were in Invermere. But uh, so completely different snowpack. So uh, kind of uh, hard to correlate anything between the two. Right. So what... But what conditions would cause you to maybe think twice about going out there? Well, you know, there's a lot, you know, a big range of dangerous conditions that can exist in backcountry snowpacks. 
And, you know, we can go out and safely operate in a lot of different conditions. It, it's got to be pretty bad for, you know, for us to be not willing to go outside. You know, the only thing we can really control is the terrain that we move around in. And by controlling the terrain, I can ski, you know, the heli ski operations can operate in almost any conditions. Okay, so what, you know, when you see the discussion that's happening here about, well, we need mm-hmm. to do something, we need to kind of close down the backcountry, what do you, what's your reaction to that? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say that's a terrible idea. You know, there's uh, the, really the backcountry skiing, uh, professional backcountry skiing community, be it human power mechanized in Canada, across the board operates at a really high level. Uh, you know, there's a long history of the federal government being involved in this and making sure that they operate at very high standards. Uh, You know, the reality is, yeah, it's dangerous. It is. But, you know, these operations, just like we do, have been operating in much more dangerous conditions for many years, but you never hear about it because an accident didn't happen then. So, you know, to to even kind of think about closing off the backcountry would you know, not only rob the livelihoods for, you know, a lot of employees and business owners, but it would also keep a lot of the public from being able to recreate in the mountains. So you don't think it's a good idea, but how do you get the message through to people though, Jimmy, that that they need to be more careful out there too? Well, you know, uh, know, Avalanche Canada is getting the message through. Uh, You know, this is the thing, it's kind of difficult to understand unless you recreate in the backcountry in the winter, that yeah, it's dangerous, and we all kind of know that. And the the reality is, this is just a good example of the forces that we can be up against. You know, um, it, Avalanche Canada is doing the best job in the world of getting the message out, and Canadian heli ski operators are esteemed worldwide for for their abilities and professionalism. So, it's never going to be completely safe, but here's the thing that's what makes it such a great experience you know we can you know skiing at resorts these days i I ski at ski areas all the time and it's it's great fun and a really good experience but because the resorts and the ski patrols at the resorts have done such an incredible job of being able to make it a safer environment to recreate in, it's also a little bit sanitized and not as wild and so coming out into the backcountry with a heli ski operation, it, it's an incredible experience to be able to go out in these very wild mountains. So to close it off and say, no, we can't do that, really rob a lot of the vitality of life and some really beautiful experiences. Mm. Jimmy, thanks so much for your time this morning. My pleasure. Hopefully, uh, hopefully everybody can understand it a little bit more. Hopefully, yeah. That's Jimmy Tart, owner of Mountain West Avalanche Consulting and an avalanche forecaster for Majestic Heli Ski. I mean, their take is that the risk is, is why people do it, right? The risk goes with it, and that's why it is exciting for people. But then you have these horrible situations like we had near Invermere this week. And so what is the answer there? If you want to weigh in, simi at cknw.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. This is Mornings with Simi. You know what that music means. It means it's time for us to check in on the Vancouver Whitecaps and how they're doing with Vanny Sartini, coach of the team. Good morning, coach. Good morning, Simi. How are you? I am good. Thank you. You're all ready to go. You're off on a trip, aren't you? Yes, I'm actually packing right now, and then I'm going to the training, and then after training, we fly to to San Jose. So okay, perfect. and and this is the first one of the season. So how long are you going to be gone for? No, well, just uh, just a game, and then Saturday night we're back. It's uh, just a short trip. It's uh, in and out in San Jose, trying to make points and coming back. <laughs> okay, what do we know about the San Jose earthquakes? Uh, they're a good team. They changed the coach this season, and uh, they are kind of changing their philosophy, uh, becoming a little more, uh, I would say, organized defensively. Uh, but they're still, a, I would say, a threat uh, uh, when they attack. They have two very good uh, wingers, wide players. They will try to isolate them. So what we need to do is uh, kind of stay compact and uh, I would say try to replicate the performance that we had last Saturday here at home, that uh, the result at the end wasn't perfect, but uh, the performance was really good. Right, especially that final third, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The, uh, we, we've been very good last year, uh, last week. We, we, we created a lot of chances. We had a lot of shots, but uh, at the end, you don't win if you make uh, double the shots of the other team. You need to score the shots. So I mean, let's, uh, let's try to do it this time. Right. So what, what didn't work, do you think, last time? You said the effort was there, right? And the, we know the team wanted to kind of hit the ground running here. So what, what didn't go right? Well, you know, it's, uh, uh, it was really... Uh, those kind of games normally happen once a year in, a, in, a, in every team. Like, you dominate the game. You really are uh, better than the opposition team. You have more chances than them mm, to, to score goals a lot more than them. But... Uh, uh, their goalkeeper as their night of the of the season. We are not very, um, I would say, cold and uh, maybe focused in the in 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 the box. And uh, uh, yeah, I hate to say luck, but also we were also unlucky too. <laughs> luck always works in sports. Yeah. Like so much of it is luck, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, some sometimes you need also that the the things are going in. In, in your in your direction. Oh, sure. Like you need to be like good. There. You need to yeah. be good, but sometimes it helps that you're not hitting the crossbar. You're actually putting it in the net. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty much that's it. Yeah. yeah. Now, I know you've got a very busy march ahead, right? Is this a good thing for the team? Yes, it is. It is. Uh, it is also because we... Mm, so next Wednesday, we'll, we'll play at BC Place, uh, our debut in the Champions League, and... Uh, it's very nice to play in this comp- to play in this competition because uh, uh, we played in that competition because we won the Canadian Championship last year. So we dis- we we actually earned our right to play there, and uh, so we're gonna play uh, some games in uh, midweek Wednesday at home. But then the, the following Wednesday we'll have to travel to Honduras to play. So it's gonna be to be kind of a busy of a busy month, but uh, it's good like this because uh, especially at the beginning, we want to rotate every player to see who, are the, who is the best starting 11. So I will have the chance to see everyone. And does it keep up the intensity too for players? Like when you've got a CONCACAF game on the Wednesday and then you're playing again on the weekend, like I feel like the players stay in it. 
Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And then uh, uh, whatever is, is whatever is the result, even if we win or if we lose, there's no time either to celebrate too much or maybe complain too much. So we need immediately to focus to the next game, and that uh, I would say that helps uh, to 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 go 100% the next game. Last year, actually, when we had this stretch on uh, busy busy month with a lot of midweek game where our our best stretch probably it's easier for uh, it's easier for the player to get concentrated and and they have less time to make mistakes maybe. <laughs> we like that we like, we like that a lot all right well coach listen best of luck this weekend okay fantastic. we'll, we'll talk you. to you next week that is vanny sartini head coach of the vancouver whitecaps i love that right keeping the players so busy they have less time to think about their mistakes and just go out there and do it so they're heading off to california for one game they're going to be playing the san jose earthquakes now the quakes have also just come off a 2-1 road loss to atlanta uh, so essentially, they're pretty even with the Whitecaps right now. So hopefully, uh, we can get that win there. And also, as I mentioned, a very busy couple of weeks ahead for the Whitecaps. So they've got the game on Saturday. They're going to be playing five matches in 14 days. So Wednesday, which is the game that uh, Coach was just talking about there, that's on March the 8th, the Whitecaps will begin their 2023 CONCACAF Champions League campaign. They'll start that at BC Place. They will be hosting uh, the Honduran team in the first leg. This is a round of 16 uh, before traveling then uh, to play again. Then on Saturday, March 11th, the team is hosting FC Dallas. That's MLS play. That's at BC Place. Uh, So yeah, busy stretch for the Whitecaps. And remember, you can listen to all those great Whitecaps games on AM 730. Check it out anytime. And we talk to uh, Coach Vanny Sartini every Friday morning at this time. This is Mornings with Simi. I think that's so sad. I find that department stores are like closing all around. I just don't think it bodes well for Canada. Oh, it sure doesn't seem that way, does it? It was a retail shocker hearing the news that Nordstrom is closing all of its Canadian operations, including that retail store right here in downtown Vancouver. One that, for the most part, every time I went in there, seemed pretty busy. What's even more troubling is that the company's statement said they did not see a path to profitability in Canada. What is going on here? Well, joining us is David Ian Gray, founder and principal of Dig360. David, thanks for being back with us. Hey, how are you? I am good, thank you. I'm a little upset at this news, though. I thought I thought Nordstrom here was doing well. Uh, I, I'm going to be honest. I was upset as well. Um, you know, I'm um, industry watcher, but I'm also, uh, occasionally I do shop myself, and uh, I, I was a fan of Nordstrom. Um it was struggling. It it was probably on its uh, ascendancy around 2017 to 2019 in that range. You know, settling in takes a little time to ramp up in a new market. Uh, but the pandemic uh, just did so much damage to all fashion uh, businesses. And, they, you know, just by the scale of what they have to sell that's fashion. So do you uh, think that's what it was here? Hard. That this was the uh, a result of the pandemic? Um, I think there's a number of factors that came into play. I think the pandemic and then uh, fashion choice changed coming out of the pandemic and we're in a recession now. Uh, We just are not seeing the demand. Uh, Let's start with work, work from home and uh, hybrid work, right? Like the demand for the kind of clothing Nordstrom sells, it's not athleisure uh, primary. So, 
you know, there's some challenges there. Uh, I would argue that if we looked at all their uh, stores across the United States, um, certainly Vancouver would be in the better performing. I would think probably probably Yorkdale and Toronto would be up there. Um, but I think it's rather easy for an offshore uh, retail chain to call uh, an overseas, we'll call it overseas or cross-border market. It is to focus on their domestic market. We just see it time and time again. I know, but why not then say, okay, well, we've got these two well-performing stores. We'll just keep those two. That's what I would have liked to have seen. Um, this seems like such a sudden all-or-nothing move. Um, I don't know. Because of the nature of how they report their, their figures, it's going to be fascinating if they do their final uh, bankruptcy protection because they're going to have to share a lot of data. Right. But there could be a critical mass that they need in Canada to warrant a lot of the cross-border shipments and things like that. I don't know. I would have thought um, that would make sense. Having one, by comparison, Chicago's around the same size as a major market uh, to Toronto, and Chicago's got one Nordstrom. Toronto has three. Uh, New York has one main flagship, and then another little network of, of um, what's called local shops that are small format Nordstrom's. Um, so Toronto really is outside. So I, guess I would agree with you in, in principle, um, but we don't really know what, what went on there. I, I will say there's another variable that may or may not have come into play or pushed it over the edge. There's an activist American investor uh, named Ryan Cohen. He got involved with GameStop, and jumping that chart all over, the, all over in 2020. And he was involved in the, the sort of call it shenanigans with Beth, about Bed, Bath and Beyond um, of late. And he's been gobbling up Nordstrom shares and stated he's seeking a board seat. And it's a very proud family business about the Nordstroms. And I don't know if that timed into this or factored in. Like they might be retrenching um, is what you're thinking? Pro- is that they might be thinking we've got to protect yeah, our defenses? Could, we have to do do whatever it takes. Uh, instead of looking to the future, really do whatever it takes to protect our... Yeah. I guess... Speculating. Yeah, but. David, I guess what I also wonder too is like we were talking about how well-established Nordstrom was here in Vancouver. It's really hard to win hearts and minds of, of people, particularly shoppers, but it feels like they had done that, hadn't they? Yeah, I mean, you're you're, you're going to see in comments online a lot of people were turned off by the Nordstrom prices, but they were never the target. You know, Nordstrom is not, um, you know, at the discount end of the spectrum, but the people who uh, like fashion were willing a little more, not necessarily the high school, just you know, a little more upmarket and aspired that way really found Nordstrom to be a breath of fresh air. Uh, just the the level of service, the atmosphere. Um, I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of good they were doing in the market, and they really upped the game of a lot of retail around them. Uh, but, you know, Canada, by and large, tends to be a little bit um, more, uh, I guess, uh, value conscious um, as by nature here than uh, right. typically. 
But David, do you think maybe can can we reserve judgment then on what this means for the Canadian retail landscape or, or why it happened? Like it's not about Canada not being able to sustain this. Like maybe there's more going on, as you pointed out. Okay, well, I'm going to be very quick on that. Canada is a really good retail market if you understand and commit to the market. There's um, we we tend not to be as spiky at the high end, you know, the Uber luxury, but we also um, are not. Um, we 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 have a we have a good safety net here, and we've got a good base of consumer uh, spending. It, it's very solid. And so, let me flip it to you and say. What's the story with uh, Lululemon and Aritzia headquartered right here? They've had True. record years, you know, um, both the Canada side and U.S. side. I think one of the patterns I've seen is, and I've said this quite often, is when you have a, a called an offshore headquartered chain. So it's either in the U.S. or it's headquartered in Europe or Asia. If things aren't working out well for them across their whole business, there's just a natural tendency not to cut close to home. Uh, the cut will come in their in their overseas or offshore business. Toys R Us, which I was never, you know, I don't think they did a stellar job, but the Canadian arm of Toys R Us actually did. They were profitable. It was the U.S. Uh, core business that was hurting. But, you know, they're trying, it's natural tendency. If it was headquartered in Canada, we'd probably do the same thing. We'd look to protect our domestic market. And if it meant offloading some, assets elsewhere we would do so but more and more canadian retail is being run by headquarters outside of canada so we're going to see that more and more but it's not an indictment of canadian consumers this seems because this seems short-sighted to me to get that toehold once again that is hard to do but they seem to have done it um, I, I would agree, and I don't. It'd be. I think there's a story that will emerge in terms of what really happened here. Um, they never. There was always talk about having a Canadian headquarters in Mississauga. That never happened. Um, I would think if these, if if it was um, two major American markets, or put Calgary in the mix, the three American markets that we're talking about, I just suspect there would have been more effort. Uh, put into to finding a path, um, but it's uh, like I say, it's sort of an easy out. the The other thing, of course, is when you're shipping product across border, even if it's within the same company, there's issues with that, and you know, there's a few other idiosyncrasies about the fact that we're different countries. Um, but th- and by the way, they they're talking about not being profitable, but they weren't horribly unprofitable. Like you know, it's big numbers for us as individuals, but. In terms of the just taking a look at the first numbers they've shared, typically those would be numbers you'd want to fix and get get built up. But they may also. I'll, I'll add one more angle to this. Mm-hmm. Maybe on the contrarian side, I've always been pessimistic about the future of department stores. So we see uh, the Bay, um, you know, Holtz here in Canada. Um, Nordstrom is a good example kind of trying to find a path through to some sort of utopian other side, but it never happens. And I think department stores were developed in the first half of the 1900s and they were innovative. They were the forefront of modern retailing, but you know, we've got enclosed shopping malls. Now we've got online businesses. We've got brands that have their own stores that are selling direct to us. 
And I just think the relevance of having like a multi-floored, massive beast of a place, even if I like to shop it, yeah. all that, all the staff that are needed, all the product that needs to be inventoried and displayed and priced. I don't think you'd invent a department store like that today from scratch. That's very true. Uh, David, thank you for your time on that today. You're welcome. And, uh, you know, good, good luck if you uh, get down there and try and find a couple of items before they close up. There's still some shopping to be done. And say <laughs> hi to the staff. Say hi to the staff. I know. The staff are really good there. David, thank you for that. That's David Ian Gray, founder and principal of Dig360, talking about the closure of Nordstrom.